Welcome to Belonging Matters podcast series, now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and www.belongingmatters.org. You can email Belonging Matters on info at belongingmatters.org. Episode 1, Activating Life-Giving Visions. Michael Kendrick is an independent international consultant in human resources and community work who resides in Massachusetts. His interests include leadership, service quality, the creation of safeguards for vulnerable persons, social integration, change, innovation, values, advocacy, the role of individual persons and small groups in creating solutions, alternates to bureaucracy, personalized approaches to supporting people, and reform in the human service field, amongst others. In this podcast, Michael explains how to activate life-giving visions. Hello, I'm Michael Kendrick, and I would like to speak on the subject of activating life-giving visions. And uh, life's inherent possibilities are not always appreciated by us uh, as we live. Nonetheless, there is a relationship between what we can envision and what we are likely to attempt in our lives or in the lives of others. And in this way, uh, visions are the mental picture or pictures we create that enable us to visualize the world in old and new ways. We see these images in our mind's eye much as we see the material world with our regular eyesight. The American mystic and psychic Edgar Cayce of the early 20th century often used the phrase that mind is the builder. By this, by this he meant that we can use our minds to recreate the world through the images, attitudes, and ideas that have their origin in our imagination. And uh, the mental attitudes and outlooks that we embrace then are magnified and accentuated through our imagination. He was drawing attention to the constructive possibilities that are latent in our minds that enable us to reformulate our lives and our world should we choose to do so. It is evident that many people with disabilities live in a world of unnecessarily low expectations for their potentials in life. This atmosphere of diminished expectations acts to dilute the quality of their lives by depriving them of important opportunities to experience, grow, develop, and flourish. As we can see from the substantial progress of the last half century, these low expectations can be replaced by more positive developmental ones with uh, commensurate benefits for the people who experience them. So they're not locked in. Uh, What may be less clear is precisely how such a transformation of outlook takes place and what each of us can do to bring it about. What follows is a description of the key components of creating and fulfilling a life-giving vision in regards to a given person. These considerations would hold whether that person is yourself or others that you are concerned about. Now, the benefits uh, embodied in uh, efforts at uh, managing better need to be recognized. It's unlikely that any sustained effort at imagining better will be attempted if one remains unconvinced that generating practical opportunities in a person's life that had not been there before can be achieved quite regularly. 
It's compelling to see examples of how others have transformed their lives as well highlight the scope that exists to make it possible for a person to enjoy more of life. However, if one remains doubtful, it's good to name those doubts and misgivings and talk with others about them. Doubts should be listened to and learned from rather than just serve as a reason not to move ahead. Often we can learn a great deal from our doubts. If we can affirm that we can make a difference in our own life or that of others, it then becomes possible to act upon this conviction. Now, in defining and choosing life-giving values, we have a challenge, for sure. It is our values that will guide us and set our priorities. It's important that values be selected that are actually life-giving. By this, it is meant that values are created or enforced, which ensure that people's own or the lives of others are lived to their fullest potential. If this is not the objective, then it's predictable that we might sell for much less beneficial lives that are actually possible. Having a life-giving outlook does not in any way mean that others will always cooperate with such a positive attitude, but it does make it more likely that the person of concern will come much closer to a life that is fulfilling in the way that we might discover could be meaningful for them. Values that are accompanied by decision and commitment are also more likely to flourish than those that stay simply as goals which are never acted upon. So how might we undertake imagining better? Well, one can initially begin with imagining better by reflecting on the person's current life and how this contrasts with the lives of others in the community of a similar age. Seeing how the potential in the lives of others have been nurtured and developed will help create a sense of what could someday become equally true for the person that you are concerned with. It's important to not be unduly concerned about the person's disability, as this will commonly draw attention and emphasis on what people cannot do, rather than the many things in life they could do and enjoy if they are properly supported to do so. As an enabling uh, vision gradually expands and builds upon the person's strengths, gifts, uh, passions, and life interests, uh, it will become more obvious that one can build a life, actually create a life, that suits the person and their capacities to live life fully. Not surprisingly, this will mean an emerging lifestyle for the person that is increasingly life-giving rather than life-denying. Now, uh, vision isn't something that one uh, needs simply to create. One needs to be convinced of the vision. And it's not the case that every inclination that can inspire, intrigue, or engage us will lead to practical outcomes in due course. This is because we normally need to become convinced about the worth of any proposition, and this will require that we test and challenge our vision with some regularity. Uh, promising but as yet unproven ideas often emerge in vague, underdeveloped, and even symbolic forms, and that is why it is often uh, necessary to carefully evaluate what ideas have merit and, and would be worth pursuing and what wouldn't. When we are genuinely persuaded that the vision will be beneficial, then it's time to act on it, giving the consideration of our level of confidence in what this vision seems to promise. So in a sense, vision um, it must be persuasive to the creator of the vision as much as anyone else. Vision, however positive it appears, will, will undoubtedly have the ability to mislead.
Sound vision will stand the test of time, but it may take time for that to become clear. In other words, vision is not uh, something one does once, but one continues to refine the vision, test it, update it, and uh, strengthen it over time. And uh, so also over time, we decide upon and affirm the vision. Vision cannot be acted upon and enlivened by practical actions if the holder of the vision remains undecided because they're, if you like, uh, not doing anything with the vision. At some point, if any meaningful benefit to a person is to eventually be achieved, it must be resolved that the vision is worthwhile to embrace. Uh, in other words, one needs to be persuaded of the vision. And this bringing of oneself and others to decision about the vision means that the back and forth of weighing the vision is put aside and a decision is taken to act on the vision. And this is not meant to suggest that the vision no longer evolves, but rather that a time comes where it is decided that action is needed or the vision and its potential benefits will never be realized. In this kind of decision, there is always some kind of risk, but there is also the possibility of resolution and uh, resolve. Because when you're resolved to act on a particular vision, um, this affirms the vision and it makes it more possible that we can do something uh, from moving it from vision to actual practical ways to achieve the benefits of that vision. So actualizing the emerging vision is as important in its own way as actually creating the vision. And there is much to be learned from trying to live a vision, as this uh, bringing of deeper values into actualization is always a contributor to wisdom. In this sense, you know, the practical experience of trying to do this can make us wise to many different things that we wouldn't possibly appreciate if we hadn't immersed ourselves in this process. Note that, the, the, that being certain and untroubled by one's vision is uh, also problematic in its own way. And the actual living of a vision demands that we have a practice, a way of acting and being. And uh, without practice, then we don't actually refine the vision and make progress with it. So in this sense, like everything else, practice makes perfect, and it's very important to continue to refine and improve upon a vision uh, as you go. And so in meeting needs, which are important uh, in uh, a person's life, then the vision plays the role of helping find ways to address people's needs effectively. Um, a more likely pathway to success is the possibility of building upon what others have already achieved in order to meet one's needs or the needs of the person we may have in mind. If what, we, what is needed is normative for many people, it suggests that uh, lots of people have had their needs met. Uh, so doing what they've done often is uh, very helpful in terms of actualizing the vision. In other words, you don't have to uh, break new ground all the time. One just simply borrows from what others have learned. Uh, so people with disabilities are not some strange version of humanity requiring their own sort of exotic uh, response. So uh, using what other people use to meet the same need 
actually makes an awful lot of sense and simply means adapting it to the specific needs of that uh, particular person with a disability. Uh, so in this way, uh, one doesn't have to be entirely a pioneer. One can simply borrow uh, good examples from what others have achieved. And the principle I would uh, suggest to keep in mind is a principle I call that uh, if you want to meet normative needs, then look to normative means for meeting those needs. In other words, how have others met that need will be full of kind of suggestions when you explore it because one can borrow heavily from what others have learned from their own experience. Uh, and this is better than to start uh, with the assumption that, oh, people with disabilities are so different from other people that we couldn't possibly apply what other people uh, have learned or benefited from. And this is the kind of perverse use of the term special, that people are so special that things that work with everybody else wouldn't work with them. So in this way, uh, staying close to what it is that other people do to meet their needs is often, uh, you know, not quite fail-safe, but it's a, it's a very good, you'll be very good probabilities that you'll have success. Now, the community itself at large um, is a resource in all of this, so it's good to remember that we're not starting from scratch here. We're, we're in a community that has many resources that we can use. Similarly, it's very un unlikely that you can get a life that's good and suitable for a person if they remain isolated from the broader community, because the broader community has a lot of the resources they could be tapped into just as much by people with disabilities as anybody else. So in this sense, uh, you can't uh, create a, a life apart from community, that this is better done in community itself. And um, the possibility of a normal life in communities is always uh, present because there are many, many pathways in communities to get the things that you need in life. Now, uh, watching life is quite different from experiencing it firsthand uh, with all of its uh, tribulations and rewards and complexities. And so in this sense, being in the effort of trying to build uh, a better life, uh, one uh, begins to see things that actually do work and things that didn't work as expected. And uh, in this way, we can see it as a process of you know, building piece by piece. Uh, every element that you learn something from it then is uh, sort of in, in the treasury of what you've uh, developed. Now, a lot of the pathways to the good life are through other people, that other people bring uh, gifts and contributions to the life of a person with disability much as they do for anyone else. And when people are engaged in communities, uh, you know, living our daily lives, we may not always appreciate that. But we are constantly benefited by the contacts and people we know in community. Each, each brings their own benefits and insights and contributions. So our fellow citizens are constantly enriching our lives, whether they intended to or not. And we benefit from our contact with our fellow citizens, our fellow community members. And so we need to think of being in community as a set of pathways 
where one can then benefit from the gifts, qualities, and practical contributions that are unique, that are unique to particular persons. Now, if we don't look for such people and invite them into our lives, it would be almost like they don't exist because uh, you're, we've shut ourselves off from them. So the effort in creating a good life is really to see the necessity of having people in a person's life and finding ways to bring that about. It can be in very small ways. It can be done relatively easily. Um, and uh, one can uh, try many things over the period of years uh, in terms of uh, reaching out to um, all kinds of different people. And when we look back from a process like that, um, we, uh, we have been sharing our lives with others and others have been sharing our li their lives with us. So this is best done in community. You don't get a good life by being isolated from other people, but by rather in finding some way to be in their presence and to collaborate in living. Um, so uh, as people are generous with us, we can return the favor. And of course, one of the great gifts in life is to be able to uh, return the favor to others. And people with disabilities would equally find that very satisfying to be able to make their contribution. So uh, if you think about it, uh, there's a great advantage about being proactive about life building. Life building isn't sort of a thing where you sit around and wait for life to happen. You have to take the initiative again and again. And uh, in the process, what this does is make a life come to uh, alive in its own way, a person's life. Um, and if this is done intentionally, uh, you don't wait for life to happen. You're constantly in a process of uh, seeing what might be uh, useful to try next. And waiting isn't a very good strategy because you just expect the whole world to come to your door. And there's many times when it's much better to get used to the habit of reaching out and uh, going where other people are. And people uh, can, uh, you know, surprise us in many ways. Uh, we may just assume everyone's sort of preoccupied with their own life and they wouldn't have time and Whatnot, but I think uh, an honest appraisal is that there are many people that uh, when they see what you're trying to achieve uh, for a person, uh, they uh, you know, will make their own contribution to that. So life building is, in that sense, uh, something we do in the company of others and by, in, in our own way, inviting others into the process of uh, creating a, an experience for someone or a benefit for someone. And uh, this uh, can be a simple experience or it can be uh, an ongoing experience. It can be an episodic experience. There are many ways to do that, but they're all, uh, if you like, points of good life that people pass through and get some benefit from. Now, since many people don't always know themselves what they would like in life, uh, it's very important to do what I call life tasting, which is to um, uh, take the time to have new experiences and, and to see whether you, those agree with you. And it's the same for a person with a disability as anyone else. Not all things agree with them. Uh, some things that might agree with them over time, others uh, may and not ever interest them. Uh, 
And so uh, this is really an exploratory process of life tasting and learning uh, what appeals and satisfies and what does not uh, satisfy. And one can learn even from group of unsatisfied experiences because those there would be elements of those experiences you wouldn't want to repeat. And uh, by being able to reflect on what didn't work for you, it wasn't really your thing or whatever, or to your liking, it gives you insight in terms of what other experiences you might pursue and how you'd uh, approach them. But the process of life tasting uh, isn't uh, a process where the outcome is always known. That's why you try things, or what I call life tasting. And so you can't always be sure that it will be an enjoyable experience or whatever. But you can be sure that uh, from time to time it will work out for you. And um, it's true that uh, this process described here as life building it has its uh, problems and obstacles to overcome, but one shouldn't be overcome from them just because obstacles exist. Often the, uh, the, the obstacle can be worked around in time, and uh, this can be very helpful uh, to remember as you do come up against uh, discouraging or bewildering or difficult or vexing uh, challenges in trying to get an experience uh, to come right for a person. And, you know, it's not unusual that there, at times people can feel defeated and overwhelmed, uh, you know, by particular problems, but that usually is not a permanent state. It's simply, you know, what everyone has when a certain day doesn't go as planned. So it's important to stay in it, in the process, and to stay positive and constructive and not to be particularly harsh uh, with yourself or others about things that didn't work out and because uh, there are no guarantees in the process of living. And so we simply have to absorb a certain amount of setback or difficulty. One of the uh, delights of doing life building, of course, is that things do uh, work well at times. So it's very important to uh, take pleasure in that and uh, to be thankful for the things that did work out, because this uh, uh, affirms that it is quite possible to do positive things and to have them turn out well. So it's good for one's outlook to be grateful and uh, regularly uh, appreciate the blessings of what have happened for the good. And it's good for our minds and spirit and health and well-being, really, to be positive in that way. So it is uh, worth cultivating. But uh, as one goes, one learns uh, uh, to change one's thinking and expectations to fit the realities that you encounter. Uh, and our expectations and thinking aren't always right. We often make assumptions that turn out not to be as accurate as they could be or as helpful. So in this sense, if you have a... a uh, commitment to revising some of our thinking and uh, mental states and expectations, it gives us the advantage of being able to adapt. Because when we lock in our expectations and insist that things only happen in one way, we're actually tying our hands. On the other hand, by regularly giving ourselves permission to simply change our mind and see such adjustments as uh, advantageous, 
means that we'll be uh, much more able uh, to be flexible, adaptive, resourceful, creative, those sorts of things. And it's also possible to not feel as isolated by simply reaching out to other people to include them in what you're trying to do. And uh, we can be strengthened in countless ways by other people. And so trying to do everything ourselves is really not a very sensible strategy when so many other people, first of all, probably do some things better than ourselves. So why not uh, build on their strengths? Um, and also, we then actually cultivate allies, people that are on our side, helping us uh, make uh, progress. This doesn't reduce our self-reliance or personal responsibility, but it does uh, give us a way to, uh, uh, to do things we probably couldn't do if we just relied solely on ourselves. And uh, in this sense, we do need to cultivate wisdom uh, from learning from our experience, uh, but also some uh, sources of inspiration that uh, have uh, proven beneficial to us. And uh, this can be uh, people or examples that you've come across, something that you might have seen on TV or a book you read or a conversation you had. So there are many sources of wisdom, and these uh, can be blended with our own experience and uh, converted into, if you like, a kind of ongoing uh, guide uh, for us. And uh, you never know what those might be, but um, if we do continue to seek inspiration and keep re-engaging, we will make progress. And looking back, it'll be more obvious why that worked. But uh, as, as you're going through it, uh, of course, uh, things aren't so obvious. So. In conclusion, you can evolve the vision for your life and for the life of others. It's not at all a settled question what could be possible for people's lives. Usually, vision can continue to be evolved in ways that are much more beneficial. So we should never conclude that we're somehow at the end point of vision. And our imaginative capacities to build new uh, opportunities are typically always available to us. If they are not, they are available to others who might take up this task sort of to help us out. So to relinquish the possibility of the further evolution of these possibilities is to conclude that life is over. When in reality, uh, there is always hope, there's always another day, there's always imagining better, and there's always uh, some yet important experiences to be sought and to be had. So to just sum up, the real challenge is to uh, continue to be proactive as best one can and to uh, find the supports that keep you proactive. And that could be people, it could be ideas, it could be many things, but to find the things that uh, enable us to get up from one day to the next and try something uh, new. And of course, we will uh, do something new. Thank you. You've been listening to the Belonging Matters podcast series. For copies of this and other Belonging Matters programs, please go to belongingmatters.org. The Belonging Matters website features free podcasts, videos, and many other resources to assist people with disabilities and their families to lead ordinary lives in their communities. To contact Belonging Matters, please email info at belongingmatters.org.